The healthcare system is broken, but it doesn't have to be. This is Revenue Cycle Optimized by Infinix Healthcare. We discuss the latest challenges in the revenue cycle space and provide actionable tips on how to overcome them at your organization. Welcome everybody to our online office hours. I'm Viveka Jagadeesan. I'm a business development rep here at Infinex. And today I'm joined by the lovely Jennifer Glockson, again, our senior patient access manager. How you doing, Jen? I'm good, Viveka. How are you today? Not too bad. We have an exciting topic here today, which is to learn about the nuances of different payer types and how to successfully obtain your prior authorization information from each one. So first question, Jen, as an overview, what would you say are the basic differences between our Medicare, Medicaid, commercial Advantage plans? When it comes to prior auth, you know, Medicare was always one of those that never required authorizations. Everything was very diagnosis driven. Starting in early 2023, Medicare started adding codes not for things like diagnostic imaging, but things, codes for surgical procedures, for some pain management procedures. So Medicare is requiring authorizations now for, for some codes. Medicaid has always been one of those. They require authorization for just about everything. With your commercial payers, it's typically mostly your high dollar Imaging that requires authorizations, basic things like x-rays, ultrasounds, Dopplers, those kind of things don't typically require authorization through your commercial payers, but your high dollar imaging, your MRI, your PETs, your nuke meds, some CTs, and then obviously anything that's going to go inpatient or anything surgically related. And as far as the Advantage plans, do they behave more like the commercial or, or more like Medicare? I would say your Medicare and your Medicaid Advantage plans, they kind of fit somewhere between a commercial payer and then like Medicaid. Their guidelines tend to be a little more strict. They tend to require authorization on more things, but I wouldn't quite put it at that level with your Medicaid payers. Gotcha. So Jen, what are kind of the differences in terms of the requirements and the processing times you see in these different payer types? Right. So with Medicare, what you find on the codes that they're now requiring authorizations on, their stated turnaround time is uh, about 14 business days. We're typically seeing those authorizations coming back in about seven to 10 business days. So a little bit faster than their stated turnaround time. Medicaid does tend to take the longest when it comes to authorizations. They will typically give you a 14 to 21 day turnaround time, kind of depending on the state. Medicaid does typically tend to take up as much time as they can with those. We typically see Medicaid offs turned around in about 10 to 14 business days. Now, your commercial payers, a lot of them process through the TPAs, your third party administrators, Evercore, Med Solutions. So typically when you're use, utilizing a TPA, you're going to get those responses back typically in about three to five business days is their turnaround. Now, when you're talking about high dollar exams, PET scans, nuke med, 
those will typically take a little bit longer. You're probably looking closer to the five to seven day mark. But your Medicaid and your Medicare Advantage plans, they'll give you a stated 14-day turnaround time. And again, they will typically try to take up as much time as possible. So you're really looking at a, a 10 to 14-day turnaround time. So I'd love to know, like, what are the keys to success from your perspective for really obtaining your OS on time from these different plan types, acknowledging the differences here? So... It really kind of depends on how the practice or facility functions, right? So we see sometimes facilities don't want to put the patient on the schedule until they've actually obtained the authorization, in which case, you know, you just notify your patient, we've got to go through the, the authorization process kind of based on the type of insurance company, you can kind of give them a range and let them know, you know, hey, with your commercial insurance, it should take about five to seven business days, kind of giving yourself that little buffer and letting the patient know that once we get the approval, that we'll call the patient to schedule. You have other practices that prefer to put the patient on the schedule because they want that patient to have a date before they leave. So I would say to just bear in mind Again, if you're talking about simple diagnostic imaging, those Medicare patients, you can put very quickly on the schedule because most of the time they're not going to require an off for diagnostic imaging. I would say if you've got those commercial payers, you would really want to book them about a week out. I would say seven to 10 days just to give yourself that leeway to obtain the authorization. And I would say, you know, if you, if your practice works with a high volume of Medicaid patients, those are typically the patients that you want to push out a little bit further, probably about two to two and a half weeks, just because that process does take a little longer. You want to allow your staff time to get the determination back so you're not having to reschedule those patients. So John, I'm hearing from you that a lot of success in this area is really reliant on getting that timing and getting the scheduling right. I'm curious about how has this landscape changed over time? Do you find that most of the providers that we work with are up to date on the state of things today or kind of have the changes in the industry been something we need to do education around? I definitely think over the past, I would say five years, the the insurance companies have become a lot more stringent on prior auths. You know, 10 years ago, if you authed a procedure and the doctor went in, performed the procedure, and let's say, because we all know it happens, right? The doctor gets in there, he's planning on what, doing one thing, he sees something else and decides, hey, I, I need to do this now. 10 years ago, you call the insurance company and you say, hey, you know, our doctor was performing this surgery. He decided he needed to do this code. We need to add it to the auth. A lot of times you could just add that code to the auth, submit, you know, any additional clinicals like the op note. And the insurance company had no problem adding that on. And most of the time you had up to 30 days to do that. Insurance companies have become very, very stringent when it comes to what we call add-on codes or retro auth. Most insurance companies, primarily your commercial payers, they'll give you about three days to add that, you know, to, to call back and try to get that retro auth. And now it's not so much just going in there and saying, we need this retro authorization. We have to provide information as to why 
we perform the procedure without the auth. So whether that be that the doctor got in there and saw something that he needed to do versus when you have a patient come in through an urgent care facility or they're in a high level of pain and you've got to figure out what's going on right now. So they come in through the ER, you know, those things, we really need to have great documentation as to why it was decided to go ahead and perform that service without the authorization. But your time frame is really limited now. So it really sounds like establishing a medical necessity for these requests, either with a retros or expedited requests has become a lot more important. I know you had some, you know, more caution that people needed to understand around expedited requests specifically. Right. So we used to be able to just mark a request expedited. And though that does kind of pull that turnaround time down, right? So when you initiate an expedited request, insurance companies generally have no more than three to five days to respond to that request, right? So what we see a lot of the times is we're just told, oh, can you just request this expedited? So insurance companies have kind of caught on to that. And it's one of those things when everything's a stat, then nothing's a stat, right? Like if we just mark every case expedited, it it really limits the insurance company to figure out what really is an urgent matter. So what will happen is you can submit all of your requests as expedited requests, but then what the insurance company does is they go in there and they review the request. If when they're reviewing this request, it doesn't meet their clinical criteria as what is an expedited request, which is loss, potential loss of life or limb or a pain level of nine or higher, the insurance company reviews those requests. And if it doesn't meet guidelines to be an expedited request, then the insurance company can flip that back to a routine request. And now your timer for how long the insurance company has had it starts all over. So if you marked a request expedited and they check it on day three and they say, nope, this isn't, you know, doesn't qualify as expedited and they move it over to a routine request, you now start over on day one. So the clock starts all over. Yeah, that seems really important to understand because I know it it's really frustrating, you know, how long these requests can take. And there is a lot of pressure on people to get these expedited. But just to understand that it's not, you know, you don't just get to expedite it and just, oh, we'll be okay even if they don't. Like there is a real punitive quality to this now if we kind of don't ha- aren't able to establish that that's medically necessary. And as you had mentioned, by the end of the year, there's a lot of people that are wanting to get into the doctor's office. But as you're saying, like the insurance payer doesn't consider me, you know, I've met my deductible and I want to get these procedures done to be a you know, qualified reason, unfortunately. Right. And something that we also see a lot is providers who they initiate their original routine requests, right? Because we think we've got plenty of time before the data service to go ahead and obtain the auth. And so what I've seen a lot of practices do is the, you know, two days before the service is supposed to be provided, they call the insurance company to expedite the request, to let them know, hey, we need to expedite the request. The data service is coming up. That can have unwanted consequences, right? Because when you call and you move it to an expedited request, again, your clock starts all over. So now you go back to day one 
Now your insurance company is going to come in and review to see if it meets clinical guidelines of being an expedited request. And if it doesn't, now your clock starts all over at a routine request. So just because the data service is coming up, to call and try to push that and switch it to an expedited request can actually have some pretty dire consequences when it comes to your patient being scheduled. Yeah. Okay. I want to give people some good news. So what what would you say is best practice for getting that off on time and getting your patient scheduled you know, on time and having them seen when you say that you will? Right. I think the first thing comes to the scheduling, right? Kind of like we talked about earlier, you know, those Medicare patients aren't going to require an off. That's what you want to fill your next three to five days with on your schedule is those Medicare patients, because you know, you're not going to require an off. Then you want to, you know, like I said, book out your commercial payers about five to seven days. You're, you know, it's, it's, scheduling the patient correctly, but then also making sure that when you go to initiate the auth, that all of the clinical information is there and ready, making sure that the provider notes are signed off on. Any imaging reports that you have are available to your authorization team in the EMR, right? So, I mean, I know doctors and providers are very, very busy. They're seeing a lot of patients. A lot of them have the routine of, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to close out all of my notes, which is fantastic. But when you come into meeting expedited requests, we need to make sure that as soon as that patient walks out the door, that that note is signed off and ready for your authorization team to grab that note and initiate the request. Because sometimes we find that, that, you know, sometimes that can be a problem when you don't have all of the clinical information ready to initiate that request immediately. Absolutely. So it's really getting those basics, you know, down tight. And I'm I'm kind of curious, how have we kind of approached provider education to help ensure success in these areas? I think it's just important that when we're talking to providers, that again, that we educate them, right? Our doctors are more focused on the newest treatments and healthcare, the newest diagnostic tools, Not a lot of providers have the time in the midst of taking care of their patients and doing all of their responsibilities. It's difficult for them to keep up with all of the clinical guidelines. And these things change yearly. Sometimes they'll change twice a year. So it's really important for us and for other people who provide authorizations to really understand what those requirements are and to share that information with the providers and let them know, you know, hey, I I really understand that you want to get this nuke stress done, but this is a Medicaid patient and just make the provider aware of what that turnaround time looks like. Gotcha. So it seems like having the provider be aware of the turnaround times and just understanding that this is probably not something they realistically have the bandwidth themselves to take on as far as understanding could go a long way here. Right. I mean, what what can you say about how we see adverse determinations or reconsiderations of peer-to-peers breaking out between these different peer types? Right. So like I said, Medicare never really previously required authorizations. So learning that authorization process over the course of 2020 has been quite fun. So a lot of payers, commercial payers, when you get what we call an intent to deny. 
So that is what we know is going to be an adverse determination. They're notifying us in advance that they either need additional clinical information. If they don't have that, you know, the request will deny. So that allows the office time to, again, find more clinical documentation, amend notes, making sure that that patient is meeting and you the clinical criteria and you can do what's called a reconsideration right? We know that you've denied it, but we would like to reconsider. The one thing that is very important when it comes to reconsiderations and even appeals is that when you're filing a reconsideration, you have to have more more information than you had the first time you requested it. If I file a reconsideration with everything I filed the original request with, it's going to be denied. Now, Once that happens, most of your insurance companies offer what's called a peer-to-peer. None of the providers like doing those because it does take time. So you want to avoid those at all costs. When it comes to Medicare and their process, though, they do not offer reconsiderations. They do not offer peer-to-peers. So if you get an adverse determination from Medicare, your only option at that point is to submit another authorization request. But again, remembering you have to submit with more information that you, than you submitted the first request with. Otherwise, this will deny as well. Okay, so it's good to understand it's not like persistence alone is necessarily going to improve outcomes and it may actually backfire for you in terms of resetting that clock. So really making sure that we truly have more information to establish the medical necessity of whatever requests we're making is pretty crucial here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things that it can be difficult. Every payer has their own guidelines. Everybody's guidelines are just a little bit different. So it's it's always good to periodically review those guidelines. I typically tend to go through and, and check guidelines about two to three times a year just to make sure that nothing has changed. Sometimes the insurance companies will be very kind. And when they start having guideline changes, they'll send that information out, but not all the time. So it's just very important to make sure that all of the information, you know, always, this isn't a situation where less is more, more is more, you know what I mean? Just providing all of the documentation that you can. So the insurance company has no reason to come back and say, no, it doesn't meet the guidelines. Yeah. I mean, I think this is also where it becomes helpful to work with a prior authorization solution or vendor of some kind, because it then doesn't completely fall on your staff or your providers to have to go out and do all of that research, which is like more than a full-time job all on its own, right? Well, exactly. And when you think about working in a provider's office, right, you want your staff's focus on patient care, on, on helping the provider make, you know, making sure that everything that they need is there, right? You want your staff focused on the patient in the clinic. That's why, you know, I I find that the service that we provide is very helpful for a lot of the practices that we work with. Allow us to come in, keep up to date with all of the guidelines, keep up to date with what the insurance companies are really looking for. Allow us to do the dirty work. I mean, everybody knows if you're going to call certain insurance companies, it's a 45 minute call, no matter what, that's how long you're going to sit on hold. So a solution like ours, where you allow us to kind of do the dirty work and and do the work behind the scenes. So then your staff, your providers can put all of their focus on taking care of the patients that are sitting right in front of you. Absolutely. And 
I think it's important to mention one other thing, which is like, it's really helpful to have robust analytics on this front too, because if you can predict ahead of time that, you know, BCBS of Texas is taking, you know, 11 days to get back to you on your MRIs, then you have that more clear information about exactly when you want to schedule people out and have more clarity about how soon can you get your patient in. Well, and that's one thing that I really love about our platform is that the analytics portion of it is amazing. So it can break down denials based on the CPT code. So you know what are your most often denied CPT codes. It can break down your denials by the ordering provider. So we put that information together and we start seeing that these particular CPT codes coming from this particular provider are being denied at a higher rate than those same CPT codes with the other providers in the practice. So then you can start digging into that provider's documentation and finding out what is the difference in their documentation and possibly another provider's documentation so they understand it's not that your patient doesn't necessarily meet the criteria. It's the way you're documenting and the way the insurance wants to receive it. So that bit of provider education can really go a long way to not only help the provider in making sure that they're documenting correctly, but making sure that their patients are truly getting the care that they need. Absolutely. And I think what we've noted is a lot of this, you know, patient access and these prior authorizations, they are a patient experience factor. And often a, maybe, you know, people are pretty typically happy with their doctors, you know, but what they're not happy with is the administrative processes. And so that's really where organizations can work on improving their patient satisfaction scores, right? Absolutely. Because what I have seen in my experience, I mean, I spent a long time working in doctor's office, dealing directly with patients, directly with providers and those, and those insurance companies. And while patients love their providers, right? If a patient calls their insurance company and says, hey, my doctor ordered an MRI and we're still waiting on authorization, those insurance companies have no problem telling the patients, oh, well, your doctor didn't send the clinical information. They, they try, it's almost like they try to turn it around and say that the provider isn't doing what they're doing, right? So that puts the patient in a position, well, I'm sick, I'm in pain, I need this done. It makes me feel like my doctor doesn't really care, right? So I just think that the, the more providers and their staffs can know all of the things that are needed to get ahead of these insurance companies, that it really does increase your patient satisfaction. And then again, to come back and when you're running into things where the insurance company wants additional information, maybe making that patient outreach and just say, hey, look, you know, we're working on the authorization. Your insurance company is really you know, pushing for additional information. So if you switch that around and and really give the patient the feel that you're doing everything that you can, and this is really an, an insurance company issue that we're dealing with, it makes things a lot more pleasant for the patient. Absolutely. So some of it is just keeping them in the loop about why these delays are happening and, you know, letting them know what's going on and educating them about the process. Because I'll admit that like, before 
you know, getting into this line of work, I, as a consumer, I didn't really understand why, you know, medical procedures took as long as they did, like why insurance companies were paying for certain things, not paying for certain things. Like you don't know this stuff unless you're in the business. Right. Dealing with insurance companies is very confusing. And and I think almost to a certain extent, they make it confusing. So it's, it's harder to figure all of these things out. So, you know, you find that a lot of patients don't truly understand how the insurance process works. And so to get that information, they go to the insurance company and the insurance company is never going to be straightforward with them. They're going to tell, of course, that's a covered benefit. Of course, you can have an MRI done, but they're not telling them the whole process that goes along with getting that done so the patient doesn't get a large bill. So I have found in my experience that the more information and the more education that you can provide to the patients in explaining to them how the insurance company works, it really puts them at at ease a bit more because now they understand what the process is going to look like. Absolutely. That's a great tip. I'm also curious if you have any guidance on like what providers can do as far as producing stellar documentation up front. So with the documentation, I would say you want to make sure that you're including all of the patient's symptoms, not only their symptoms, but when did they start? What all has the patient done as a form of conservative treatment, whether that be over-the-counter medication, whether that be at-home exercises, to make sure that you document not only you know, what kind of exercises the patient was doing, but how many times a week they did them, how long they did them. It's one of those things, again, you want to over-document and provide as much information as possible. And just making sure when you're ordering specific things, if you're ordering it to rule something out, make sure that you include those things that you're trying to rule out in that note. So you can really explain to the insurance company what you're doing. The prior authorization process is a storytelling process, right? We have to tell a story to the insurance company on every single patient to explain to them why this particular patient needs this particular exam or treatment. So the better, more detailed story that you can tell, the more likely you are to get the authorization that you're looking for. That's absolutely, that's a wonderful point, Jen. That's a great final point for our call today. I do want to do a little shout out, which is that we have a great free tool on our website that supports people in looking for the exact clinical guideline they need. It's active in a number of specialty areas, including radiology, orthopedics, cardiology, and some oncology as well, I believe. So please do check that out. If you need some support in this area, we would love to help you. And that's all of our time today. Thank you so much for the wonderful discussion, Jen. I mean, you know so much about this. And I think the way you explain it as well is just really helpful for getting the process down. And I think there's so much complexity here that even veterans, I think it's nice to be reminded of these things sometimes, honestly. Absolutely. Well, I am so happy to be here. And thank you so much for for asking me to come on. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to get notified when our next episode is online. For more information for how we can help you increase reimbursements at your company, check out our website at infinix.com. That's I-N-F-I-N-X dot com.